Kultura i medzi kamsta pojawisko. Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. With us in England uh, is the lovely Bianca Mangum. Hi. And with us is the, um, in the great state of Wisconsin, is the fabulous William Annis. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Excellent. I'm sorry. If you don't know why I'm calling him fabulous, then... I think we had this discussion last week. Yeah. Yes. Well, well I don't off know. Here. So... I found some lightsaber chopsticks on the internet. <laughs> Don't eat food with the plastic chopsticks. It will just end in tears. <laughs> yes, I know. It just seems seems like the wrong material to make chopsticks out of, doesn't it? I feel like you could get away with rice, but other than that, it would probably be a pain. Uh, rice is sticky. You often don't even eat rice with regular chopsticks. You eat it with a spoon. Oh, no, I have I have mastered the art of shoveling rice into my mouth from a bowl. Um, oh, do you, do you lift the bowl up? I do. Okay, yeah, that's the right way to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just However, like, travel the chopsticks like the foot from the bowl to your mouth. That's just preposterous. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing was that that was linked from Han Solo and Carbonite ice cube trays. <laughs> okay, my favorite thing I got for my last no, not this last birthday, the birthday before that I got the Lego AT, AT and I got um, Boba Fett's ship, the Lego set and with the Lego set you get Han Solo but you also get like a bigger bra- block that you can smush him in and it's him in carbonite which I think is the most adorable thing ever. <laughs> See, we know that we're well-rounded individuals because we're all conlangers and we all love Star Wars, which is the linguistically most brain-dead yeah. uh, series in the world. It's pretty terrible. Harrison Ford was quite good-looking in the day, though. Uh, Harrison Ford is awesome. And so is Carrie Fisher. Yeah, I don't care about that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> why don't we actually talk about some linguistic stuff? <laughs> so, we are today talking about possession. Dun dun dun. Possession is um well where your what how the language indicates that one thing is possessed by another. Something is the property of the other or is part of the other. 
Hey, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. William, why don't you take it away? Why don't I take it away? <laughs> Great, thanks. All right, so let's start with the fundamental distinction, which is not really overt in English, and most European language is alienable versus inalienable. So, obviously, something is alienable, that means it can be taken from you somehow, and if it's inalienable, it cannot be. This is a weird kind of terminology. It's a little bit weird. Most languages that have a distinction, inalienable things tend to be body parts and members of your family. Yeah, I, I'm going to mention it is most definitely alienable versus inalienable. It is actually an arbitrary distinction it's not like there's the it's not like it always makes sense in each language uh, um, it kind of it'll make some sort of sense but it's not like every language will have the same set well that's true but i i would say it's, it's nowhere near as arbitrary as something like gender the the number of things that tend to be marked inalienable inalienable is pretty small um where occasional exceptions will appear. Um, for example, uh, dogs were very important work animals in pre-Columbian North America, and so some Native American languages, dogs are alienable, and others, they are inalienable. Hmm. And, and that's almost always a special case, right? You have to make a special note for dogs, whereas it might just be body parts, family, and then for some reason your dog is also there. <laughs> and then that might family. Be, yeah, I, I think it's related to that. But it's not exactly the same because when I use the phrase my mother, that is not possession in the same way that my book is. Right. No. You don't That's... own your mother. No, I sure hope not. Yeah, but you belong to the same group as your mother, your, that group being your family. Right, there's a, there's a relationship there that, that, that it defines. Um, so... Like I said, body parts, family members, things you have made. Hmm. Hmm. So if I like say art, like if I say my book, does that mean a, a book I have in hand, or does that mean a book I wrote? Yeah. So in some languages, that distinction can be made. That's that's a very interesting distinction to do. Yeah. Um. And, and places where you live and, and you know, tools and, and dogs. And, and, and there's a few other things that may be marked inalienable, but definitely body parts and family are the, the big two. So there are different ways to mark this. Um, the simplest is just to indicate possession differently with some sort of different syntax. Um, in Chinese... When you say my mother or my father, the normal possessive particle is dropped. Yeah. You just say woma. Yeah, right. You say woma instead of wodama. So da is the, the possessive particle. My book is wodashu. And then, but you, you do that differently. Um, English actually has some subtle effects in the difference between of and apostrophe s. Um. And that's that. That may be more an uh, an anime issue. Um, many languages have 
altogether different markers for alienable versus inalienable possession, like a completely different set of prefixes or suffixes or words or whatever it is. Um, in Navajo, every noun that is inalienable cannot appear without possession. There is no word in Navajo for mother. It has to be someone's mother, your mother, my mother, or it could be someone's mother. But the word by itself simply cannot occur. Now, one thing that kind of interests me is the idea that some languages mark this on the possessor, and some languages mark it on the possessed like some languages would have something that's sort of a, a possessive or a genitive marker, and some have a possessed marker. Sure, sure. And that's, you know, that's another topic we could come up with sometime, is head marking versus tail marking languages, or not head and <laughs> tail marking languages. Good tail way, marking, you know. modifier marking, what? Uh, yeah, dependency marking. Sorry. Um Right, so so I'm not even really touching on on that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you're correct. You can have a head marked language or a dependent marked language, and those mark possession differently. Um, uh, and and they, well, they mark everything differently. There's all sorts of weirdness with the verbs and so forth. But <laughs> I'm focusing on um, just possession as a general concept, and we can. We can save the head versus dependent marked for another episode. Okay. Okay. Well, let's go. And I guess the last thing to say about inalienable versus alienable is that a small number of languages do have different syntax or completely different have verbs um, and, and idioms to distinguish those. So this is a difference between attributive possession versus predicative possession. My hand, my book is attributive I have a book is a predicate. And some languages make the distinction between alienable and inalienable even in the predicate situation. Okay. I will have to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it seems like a useful idea. Um, I forget the language I saw that had um, a have, it had two halves, one for alienable one for inalienable, but it, it it extended to include anything you had possessed for a long time. Oh, okay. So it, it was starting to, to take up new new ground. Oh, that's interesting. So you could have just different have verbs. And uh, that's sort of a, a t- tangential idea that we might get to later is um, languages having or not having a word, uh, a verb to have. Sure, but they'll have some way to indicate it, even if it's not a, an overt verb. Yeah. Um, so, predicate possession has, a, I guess we're just going to talk about this, can be really darn weird. <laughs> the number of languages that don't have a verb for have has always been surprising to me, and the weird variety of ways of saying I have something is quite astonishing. Um, I always remember the first time I saw it in Navajo, I thought my little head was going to explode. You simply say, 
And the idiom, I have a book, is expressed with what means my book exists. So you use the verb of existence and a possessed form. That's really interesting. You know, my should, book exists. Right. I have a car and all of that stuff is... is and the past tense is my book existed. I had a yeah. book. Well... Navajo doesn't have a past tense, but yes. Oh, all right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but yes. There's probably some perfective or something that you could use to express that meaning. Though. Yeah, there's some way to get the past in there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and you also noted an alternate structure that is actually – is that a locative expression? Uh, Book with means right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so she holon. And with me, there is a book. Yeah. Uh, Arabic Arabic has this as an option as well. Andy, uh, you know, I have a book is with me is the way to say it, at least in the classical language. Mm-hmm. I like that idea of using a commutative or even just a locative to, to express that meaning. Sure. It, it's my impression, and I couldn't find good... Um, notes is that Russian or some other Slavic languages, but I think Russian does weird things different in, um, differentiating a dative from a genitive in possession that has hints at alienable versus inalienable. Hmm. Don't hold me on that. There's something weird going on there. Um, and it might be an, an alienable versus inalienable distinction. My impression is linguists still haven't figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> it could just be in the middle of a change, and therefore, that's who yes, knows that what. could be as well. The, yeah. That could be it. That's. I love it when very well-known and presumably well-studied languages have things that we are totally baffled by. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone just has to get around to it and finally start thinking. You know, this is really strange. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, what else? Uh, and 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 we're talking about all these things. Plenty of languages may have multiple options available for expressing p- different kinds of possession. My favorite, because it's always my favorite example, is ancient Greek. Has it can use datives both for attributive and predicate possession. It has a verb for have. It has genitives. It has possessive pronouns um, poets do horrible things where they turn nouns into adjectives and pretend they're genitives so <laughs> so it's not like your language needs to have one way to do this even if you're not making a distinction between alienable versus inalienable yeah you could you could have just multiple different ways that are maybe just I wouldn't. I'm not. I don't want to say used in free variation, but used in different contexts or sure, something. stylistic or register differences or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Free Even ed- with ed- all of these possibilities, I like to think that sometimes the more important thing is realizing when you'll use it. Yeah. So, like, the most obvious thing I can think of now is body parts in Spanish. You don't use the possessive for whatever reason and 
you know, that may not be obvious if you don't speak Spanish. I think a couple other languages do that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spanish, <laughs> it has a very, this very interesting idea of, it's very specific, though, if you're, you are, if um, the possessor is the agent of a sentence and their body part is a possessive, you use a reflexive and then the the body part is not modified at all. Yeah. So in that way, you would think, obviously, oh, it's their arm, we should put their arm. And sometimes the way to be most interesting about things is not to add a bunch of different little, whatchamacallits, grammatical features, but rather to change where you use it. You know, so I didn't think about that. Yeah. So, Bianca, I'll let you finish before I go on with my... Oh, that was it. I'm done. Okay. So, this seems to be a feature of all the Romance languages. Um, And it looks like it expanded into German. So, in in English... In English. In French, je me lave les mains. I wash my hands is, you know, I wash myself. The hands. Yeah. You don't need to say my hands. You already know that. Um. Esperanto does this as well. And I was just going to say, um, there's a Suan language called Assiniboine, which has a special prefix on the verb that says that the direct object belongs to the agent of the verb. Mm-hmm. So, I read my book will have I, this prefix, read book. Hmm, okay. And it cannot be used for inalienable possession, which is interesting. So it's 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 opposite of the the romance language situation in the sense that one is for alienable one is for inalienable. The point is they're both effectively modifying a this clitic pile up in front of a verb <laughs> to indicate possession of the direct object by the speaker or well by the agent of the verb. Yeah, um in this case of Spanish, I you can like see sort of the logic of it, considering that Romance languages are kind of reflexive obsessed. They use reflexes for a lot of things. Right. So you can see where you might say, "I wash myself the hands," <laughs> or the part that I washed. Yeah, there's kind of a, a weird Latin use of the accusative that, that might be the, the, the origin for that. In any case, so that's Cinnaboyne. Nez Perce does the most demented thing of all. <laughs> okay. What, so what Nez Perce is, is, is a Sahaptian language way up in the Pacific Northwest, my favorite place for funky languages. Um, it is one of the rare tripartite languages. Ooh. That is... Subjects of intransitive verbs have no marking. Subjects of transitive verbs have a case marker, and object the direct objects of transitive verbs have a different marker. So, three different case markings for the different case roles. You can, instead of that, remove subject and object marking from, the, from a, a clause with a transitive verb. And there are two things that could mean. One, it could be an anti-passive. Instead of I hunt or seals, 
it defocuses the object and you're saying, I'm just hunting some seals. So that's one use of the weirdness. The same trick can also be used if the direct object is a, a, the property of the agent. I see my dog could be expressed this way in Nez Perce, where you suddenly stop case marking the subject and direct object with a transitive verb, indicates possession of the direct object. There, there has to be some animacy stuff involved in that. Has I'm, I'm sure there is. I don't. I mean, the the paper did not explore all the details. They are more interested in something else. Uh, I, although I find myself very entertained by you trying to dance around how to illustrate what an antipassive means in English. Yeah, we can, <laughs> that, that's that's another one of these. That's another show. We really are going to end up having to do voice, aren't we? Yes, yes, we are. Um. Wow. So there's just a lot of weird stuff you can do with yeah possession. Possession, possession turns out to be s- stranger than than we might think. And then, do we have time? I mean, the other thing then is languages that do noun incorporation also have all sorts of funkiness with in in terms of of implications for possession as well. Well, uh, oh, like for example. Well, instead of doing a reflexive verb like you would do in French for I wash my hands, you would be um, I hand wash. Ah. Mm-hmm. With an implication that because the, the possess that the incorporated noun is inalienable and it might happen differently. Okay. I'm trying to think of an example which is more complicated and fun, but I'm not sure how I would demonstrate that on on radio. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've said enough. If you just want to do a Google on noun incorporation and possession, then you're off to the races. Also, you'll you'll find papers and people worrying about things. Hmm. Cool. Well, I think that's that's um, about all the information we can really give on that topic then unless un- unless you guys have something else nope no. just, just a little just a little yeah. smorgasbord of things to look up in your spare time to do yeah, in your next language it's kind of a small topic but mm, why we filled about 20 minutes with it so how about we move along our featured language today is abakwi so, Which has an amusing go. conceit uh-huh. that it's being built up from the, the unpublished notes of a traveler to New Guinea. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. It's way up at the top, which is why there's um, sayings involving cassowaries. <laughs> uh, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. I, I hate this. Um that's that's not in this that's that was mentioned after we stopped recording the last episode so maybe you should repeat that <laughs> we were just you know we we can talk about the other features of Mbakwi but one of the there's a bunch of texts at the end and they have some sayings and uh-huh. one of the sayings is my mother had a face that would frighten a cassowary but she was a fine cook <laughs> 
look up cassowary to figure out what that means. But yeah, they're they're they're, they're flightless, dangerous birds. <laughs> they're Sounds birds like... that look like they would they would tear you apart with their beaks. Is what they are with but, scary yeah. scary feet. <laughs> and, and and those feet and are not that scary. They're gigantic not compared to like a, a falcon. The, those a falcon would tear you in half. Have you yeah, seen like talons? That's the thing, though. The the cassowary's feet look like they're thick enough that you could punch you with them. I'm trying to. There's I'm something about special. Being shredded. There's okay. something special about a cassowary in some language. I think that one of these languages of New Guinea has a ridiculously small number of verbs, like twelve. Twelve verbs. And all other verbal notions are expressed of, with paraphrases, but I think one of those verbs has to be like a cassowary cry. Oh, that's that oh. would be weird. I, I could be misremembering. Whatever it was, for some reason, this language has a ridiculously small number of verbs, and one of them is devoted somehow to the cassowary. So anyway, let's let's try to shift and let's try to actually <laughs> talk about a bakwi. A bakwi. So, a bakwi. What is it? A bakwi or apakwi? Let me look at. I have no idea. Where is the accent? The uh, stress. Here's an example of things that kind of were irritating me. He says stress is fairly weak and normally occurs on the vowel before the last consonant of a phrase. Now, that second part is kind of interesting, but stress is fairly, fairly weak. What the hell does that mean? It means you talk like a robot. It means that... Or they were aiming at French phrase intonation rather than whatever. I um, don't but, know. But, but, then, but then we have counterexamples right after it that says, in some cases, the shifting of stress will change the meaning of the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so we have bakanga, which means he is not speaking. Bakanga, which means no one is speaking, which is hmm. kind of different. Yeah, that's interesting though. That sort of that would change, but um, I don't know why. And okay, and this is another language, like like Abyssinian, that uses odd terminology. So we have verbs, nouns, verb modifiers, and noun modifiers. I am thinking that verb modifiers and noun modifiers are just plain suffixes. Yeah. Or maybe some sort of clitic-ish. Because, like, it's it's highly synthetic. Yes. But, and, and this is... I feel that the creator of this language was scared of it. And what I I mean by this is it's clearly a highly synthetic bordering on polysynthetic language but they're so terrified of this that the language orthography makes is completely neurotic about letting you know every morphine boundary yes you don't get that you're not going to hear it that's for sure Um, including you have Something that looks like an apostrophe, it's not actually an apostrophe, but it looks like an apostrophe marking a morpheme boundary, which I don't like. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it was necessary. Um, so, I think a lot of people, beginning conlangers especially, become freaked out when they have a morphine that's one one consonant long, which we get some of in this language. And this anxiety about it being confused for something else, I think, produced some of this this weird orthography. Hmm. Yeah, it is kind of just kind of thrown in there. Uh, possessives are not really that special. It's just D plus a pronoun. Yeah, well, that's fine. But um, that's, you don't have to have it crazy possessives. Just because that's our, our episode today, doesn't that mean you must yeah, of maximize course. complexity? <laughs> uh, he does have adjectives. Which he, and adverbs, which he doesn't list in the first place. And he has adverbs, but he has this monstrosity, this huge long list of verb modifiers, which is just driving me nuts. Well, I like the idea of those as like derivational suffixes and uh, as suffixes. I like some of them. But, but I think you went a little too crazy. Well, I, my problem with this list is I don't think they've gone crazy. Compared to some languages that even I've invented, this is an extremely tame list of things to smack onto a verb. There's no imp- give indication of what order they're supposed to go in. That some, is true. I was like, can we combine these? Can we? Right? I mean, some are things like, some are modal, some are aspectual. Some are um like adverbial so adverbial and some and, and some are tense and some the the, ne- the negation goes there and uh, some are syntactic yeah like they they mean conjunctions and some some are even just derivational it seems like uh really which one uh, I'm trying to think I'm trying to see where there was one or two that made me think derivation, but now I don't see it. Because all of them like to and hate to, maybe. But no, those would be... Right. So it says are modal. Verb, right. Yeah. Verb modifiers can be combined to express many shades of meaning. Yes. In what order, please? Yeah, I would like for him to, instead of... It seems like he's just kind of, like making this giant list and saying, okay, I can combine these to do it's stuff. Not, it's not a giant list, but... Um, yeah, and well, well, well he's just it's making... a list of a variety of things mashed together, which I don't think would normally be mashed together. It, it reminds me, I put this on the notes, it reminds me of all of the things I dislike about my language. Oh. <laughs> so, anyway, I would say... Um, made this error myself but I would say that what you could do with the verbs is he should just categorize these into you know mood aspect this kind of thing and put together a verb complex and fix it that way and then the nouns, I don't think it necessarily needs that much, but you could also create a noun complex, because there are quite a few of these noun suffixes, too. I like the example sentence. 
under this business about how the verb modifiers can be combined to express many shades of meaning. One of the examples is, instead, I vomited. <laughs> I uneat. Uh, or, this is even better, while he was spearing mud bugs, he heard a dog singing. <laughs> Are you guys awesome. looking at the same website I'm looking at? Yes, I'm looking at compound sentences. Oh, oh yes, I see it yeah, now. He is quite good with the... the Examples, isn't he? He needs to learn how to do glosses properly, though. Um, do we know when this page was last modified? That would be a good, interesting. This kind of looks kind of just like notes rather than um, a real um, presentation of a grammar. So, although he does have some pretty good texts yeah. here. Yeah, there's lots of text. I'm just, just, it's a polysynthetic language. Let it be a polysynthetic language. Don't use the dashes and apostrophes. Just, just let it go. Mm -hmm. Let it be free. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. But, and let's see. Anything interesting really in vocabulary? Lynn. Oh. One thing that's driving me nuts here is the closely related words. So, like, take, give, and exchange are all done by changing the vowel. Uh -huh. And he has a whole series of these, and I'm just like, no. It, it, it drives me nuts. Mm. It's okay every once in a while to, like, derive one from the other. But I wouldn't do a whole set of, like, basic verbs on that premise. I don't know. His compounding is interesting in that in the midst of all this crazy polysyntheticness, his compounds actually require verb helpers. Huh. Yeah. Like, one of his, one of his examples you might like is, is the, a cassowary thigh bone dagger is dagger of bone of thigh of cassowary. Okay. That's a big long phrase. Which is apparently a single lexeme. I don't know why. And there's also a term for that, that a, a there's also a dedicated word for that, Ishunga, but that that's just the basic that that was the expanded out compound of it. Oh no. It seems less interesting as I talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well he's you know trying to explain the big long grammar firm and then they get it. Well uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that went into creating this and translating all these texts, I'm sure definitely. But uh, I just, we just see, I think we all just see a lot of places where he could improve it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's some, there's interesting ideas. I wish that all of the um, prepositions didn't start with the same consonant. Yes. 
Yeah, why was this could the one with the he... numbers that were all like one letter off from each other? No, oh. the numbers are different, fortunately. Oh, I think it must have been the one the we pre- did last week. Well, see that <laughs> the thing is, he can change the 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 J to a K to make different meanings. So, but to make it movement. But I would say leave it leave the J off and then you could have K as a prefix to change that meaning. Um maybe. It's just they're all one syllable words starting with a J and then a vowel and then a consonant. It's just not it's mm-hmm. it seems very unnatural to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Monosyllabic is not um a big deal, but yeah, they're the same structure and everything. And it'll be yeah. like over. I don't know if that's yib or jib because I didn't bother reading the phonology. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. No, it's palatal alveol, alveol palatal. So, j. Yeah. So over is jib, under is job. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and you get all sorts of pairs like that left, right? Plus, with a, such a monstrously synthetic language, it doesn't really need these prepositions. Probably, uh, if he did it, if he did it the right way. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know enough about all of the languages on New Guinea, which is what the the theory is. This is this is from there, so I don't know if that's usual for those languages to have that style of polysynthesis we could yeah that would be an interesting thing to figure out whether although New Guinea everything can be found there practically doesn't New Guinea have have an insane density of languages highest language density on the planet yeah and I'm I'm guessing I think a thousand I think a thousand languages a thousand human languages on Papua New Guinea and I am I am guessing that those belong to probably a dozen different families. Uh, I don't I I can't say. I get the feeling that it's a bit of a muddle still to figure out what's going on there. It could be. So you could you could have room for a lot of weirdness if you set your language there. As oh old. yes. Oh yeah. yes. But. Um, yeah, I think I think this language actually has promise if he keeps working on it and works out some of the systems better. But right now it seems kind of half finished. Uh yeah, I won't disagree with that. There's some interesting ideas here, but it just needs to be it needs to be allowed to breathe free and do its own thing. So that's about all I have to say about it. But uh, why don't we move on to feedback? We have a great feedback today. It's kind of large. <laughs> well, just a little. Why don't I don't think I want to read it the read the whole thing? But I'm just gonna say we got an email back from Matt Pearson about Okuna, and. By the way, he did put the PDFs online, like we had said. Uh, he had 
he had told me that basically he was thinking in terms of Internet of 10 years ago or 20 years ago when uploading when downloading that large of a file would be a problem but now he decided it's okay you can just put a, a giant PDF online people especially will download it. one as well formatted as his uh-huh yeah except I'm just I I'm very very happy that he put the language up but every time I think about it or look at it both the grammar and the dictionary, I feel like a total slacker. <laughs> it's huge. Um, it's fast. It's enormous. Yeah. Um, let's see. He doesn't. He said he actually doesn't have any complete text other than the North Wind and the Sun, which is surprising. Um, He's good at coming up with example sentences. Yeah. Because... Um, he had a whole lot of example sentences with his Sakya guy. I, I just kind of thought that he was a, a some sort of mythical character. <laughs> and um, he doesn't know. He didn't understand why you were, um, why you had a weird feeling about F. Will. Yes, he understood it perfectly. He said he added it later. He added it later. Okay. <laughs> so it's it, right. So I'll read from the letter the F sound. It's funny that William would be suspicious or unhappy about the presence of F since originally the language did not have this sound. I only added it later. Like William, I love small constant inventories, but 11 was too few. I felt like the words were getting too hom- homogenous looking sounding, so I added a 12th. Okay. So maybe that's what you were. St- showing you were realizing that maybe it was not fitting into the system right and there were very few words that had it because all of his new words had it rather than yeah it just most of the it, other. seemed a, it seemed a little funky and it seemed an odd choice for the and rest he of also language. he was defending why for schwa he said i would defend using why for schwa on grounds that the five regular vowel letters were already taken for other sounds and i didn't want to use any diacritics which would have created problems for using a vowel diacritic to represent irregular stress. Anyway, it's one of the things that makes Okuna's Okuna orthography distinctive and slightly weird. I equate it somewhat with Sally Cave's idiosyncratic but wonderful choice to use U for the palatal glide. Yes. No! So... <laughs> How much, okay, this is probably one of my pet peeves of English spelling. When they don't, like when it's the palatal glide and you, I wish we would just write it because it drives me nuts. <sighs> Which, that just made me sad inside. <laughs> I don't well, mind that's... the why for schwa, though, even though my first instinct is for why to just be the rounded front row. I, uh, after hearing him defend it, I I I I am uh, I am understanding him better. I would not have chosen the same to do the same thing that he did, but it's his language. You know, he can do what he wants. It's his, it's his language, and he has a good reason for using why for the schwa. <laughs> He's the one with the PhD in linguistics. <laughs> yes, he, he he has a PhD in linguistics. 
I don't mind no. the Y for sure, but the U for the glide is driving me nuts now. Not even like a W. I don't know. I don't know. Um, having a PhD for linguistics might actually be detrimental to you creating an orthography for other people to understand because you've probably read so many different grammars with romanizations that make really odd choices that you're just familiar with all of those now. <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, yeah. You you have to, especially if you want to start using diacritics to mark important things. You have and and you have some number of vowels. You you have to figure out how to make them work together and some combinations of diacritics simply don't work or are illegible. So I, I don't blame people for casting about and doing slightly weird things to, to, to make things work. Okay. I mean most languages don't have monstrous vowel inventories. Yeah. Sometime we have to do a thing on uh, an episode on romanization because I think really the 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 I, the thing about romanization is there's multiple sort of competing um, design uh, goals in creating your romanization right. that you need to figure out which one is your priority. So I want to do it. I I would like to do an episode in the future that details that. But we also have to do voice, and we have to do a lot of other things. But anyway, <laughs> that wraps up all that we had for this episode. So, uh, Bianca, any words of wisdom? No. In the whole week I had to think of my wisdom, I didn't think of any. <laughs> uh, inside joke. Okay. William? I don't have wisdom, but I have an example sentence from the language I'm working on now, which is very appropriate for today. What is it? <clears> High <throat> lal nuts, which means they were complaining. <laughs> <laughs> they were complaining. The, yes. the funny, for me, it's funny because it sounds like it has nuts in it. It has it has it has nuts in it. N a t s nuts. I'm sorry. It has nuts. In, that's funny. That see no. Yeah. It, what, what it has is an aspect and an evidential. Okay. Okay. Hi lal nuts. Hi hi lal nuts. Hi lal nuts. Okay. High tone. High tone. Low tone. Oh. Nuts. Okay. Means math. Hi, lal nuts. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm going to say happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find all our episodes and show notes, as well as subscribe to our iTunes or RSS feeds through conlangery.conlang.org. You can also like our Facebook page or follow at conlangery on twitter if you would like to contact us with corrections comments questions or suggestions or even suggest your own conlang as a feature please email conlangery at gmail.com or call into our new voicemail line 304-873-6281 
We also have a handy suggestions form on our site. Our theme music was created by Xander Vidalis.